Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So moving forward through the impossible... I'm going to give you a quick definition of what I mean by that word impossible. The word impossible is unable to be done, difficult to change, or hopeless. And I'd encourage you to think about some times in your life where you feel like something is impossible. And regardless of how spiritually mature we are, I believe there is a reality that we come across things in life that we just say, this is, this is difficult, this is too difficult to change, it's unable to be done. This situation is hopeless. You know, some of the examples I could think of is maybe contentment. Uh, I think that we could maybe have a time in our life where, you know, I don't know that I could ever be fully satisfied. I don't know that I could truly be happy. You might come to this place where you just think it's impossible. I, one of the, the great things uh, that a struggle that comes with our youth that has been coming upon our youth is depression and anxiety and worry. And people that are stuck in that, and I know it's not just the youth, but those that are stuck in that, they feel like it's hopeless, like I can't get out of that. It's impossible to break through. I, I think about stability. Sometimes, you know, life it can be chaotic, and sometimes it's just the home we're born into. And you might just think, you know, that it's impossible for me to have some stability in life. Or maybe it's a relationship. As we go through uh, this life, there's a lot of strained relationships. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling or a spouse or child. Sometimes we think an impossibility in our life is when we look at others and say they would never change. That we, we just see somebody or, you know, I've heard it time and time again where uh, they say, you know, this is the same old, same old, and they'll just fall right back into the same habits. And we in our mind think it's impossible for that person to truly change. Maybe an impossibility is an addiction. We know that addictions uh, can run rampant in our culture and different types of addictions. And those struggling with it may even have that feeling like this is impossible for me to let this go. I think of those that don't yet know the Lord. And we can look at, you know, maybe you, even a name comes to your mind. You can think of the person right now that's the farthest from the Lord. And I just ask you, do you think that God could save them? And I think for some of us, the reality is, you know, in our heart we say, I don't know. I, I don't think that that is possible. Maybe it's the prodigal, even as we prayed for the backslider. Maybe, you know, you're dealing with somebody in your family or, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a child that has fallen away and you're just at a place in your heart. I don't know that it's possible. I think it's impossible for them to, to come back. So the question that I would prepare your heart as we go into Exodus 14 is what is an area of your life that you perceive to be impossible? What is an area of your life that you perceive to be impossible? And my encouragement, I hope that you would take notes during this Bible study, and I pray that you would really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, because write those things down. It might have been one of the examples I gave, and it very well could be something different. But to really think about and write down the things, what is something in your life maybe that God would reveal that you have just chopped up to say it's impossible, unable to be done, too difficult to change, hopeless? Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, I'd remind you the words of our Savior. As his disciples, he, he spoke some hard things to the disciples about how to receive salvation. 
And Jesus looked at them intently as, as they would question, well, how can a man be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with, every, with God, everything is possible. As we go to the book of Exodus, we're, you know, of course, second book of the Bible following Genesis. This is really a continuation of the book of Genesis. I want you to think of the context of chapter 14, because I'm just going to share just a few verses within this section of Scripture. So I think it's important that we understand where we're at. So a continuation, remember, Genesis is the creation account followed by uh, the fall of man, which, of course, is followed by God's redemptive plan. God's redemptive plan uh, really uh, was initiated uh, through Abraham as God would show how he was going or begin to reveal how he was going to come down to earth in bodily form. Now we can look back and we, we know, of course, that was through Jesus, but keep in mind in the book of Exodus, the plan is uh, concealed at this point. You know, the, and even when you think about for Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation how many kids did Abraham have at that point? You could, say, you could say it. Zero, right? And his wife was unable to have children, and she was getting older and up in age. But of course, God is the God when what's impossible with man is possible with God. And of course, he did have a son, the promised son, Isaac. And through that, Isaac, you know, would have Jacob, who would later be renamed Israel. Israel, you know, as he would wrestle with God meaning governed by God. And from Israel, his sons, the 12 sons, would come the nation of Israel. And you know, at the end of, of Genesis, we see uh, really the highlighted of one of his sons, Joseph, who was ha in an impossible situation. Think about the situation Joseph had as he was uh, beaten up by his brothers, sold off into slavery, lied about by Potiphar's wife, thrown into jail. But what was impossible with man possible with God. God raised him up to the second of all, you know, of all of the kingdom of Egypt, which is, you know, at that time, just one of the world powers. And with a, with a heart knit with God, he was able to bring his, you know, brothers back. And as a great famine would come, he didn't reject them, but he brought his family to Egypt. And at the time, at the end of the book of Genesis, we know that there was just 70 of, jo of uh, Jacob or AKA Israel and his family there in Egypt in prominent position, but Exodus is 400 years separated from that. 400 years later, the Israelites are in Egypt. They're no longer welcome guests, but now they are slaves in this land. And of course, God now is raising up a new leader by the name of Moses. And he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say, let my people go. Now, I love to think about that because when you think about the impossible, you know, it's like if we made a decision today, God came to us and said, I want you to storm into the White House and, you know, go to, you know, tell President Trump and demand, make this demand, right? And, it, you know, you have to relate with Moses and some of the people in the scripture. Uh, you know, I would come up with every excuse in the book. You know, I don't speak well. Uh, you know, all the things that he tried to, to give to God. But indeed, God's plan will go forth. What was impossible, humanly speaking, possible with God. And so he went to Pharaoh on nine separate occasions, really 10 separate occasions, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Each time uh, Pharaoh did not in a miracle that God would perform to show that he was the one true living God. And each time 
Pharaoh would reject it. So where we're at is after the 10th of the, there was 10 plagues. This is after the 10th and final plague, which was the death of the firstborn. The angel of death is God uh, told the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood of that lamb over their doorposts. And that angel of death would pass over any home with the blood of the lamb. A great picture, by the way, of Jesus Christ and how that blood is painted over us. The blood of Christ that was shed, even as we partook of communion, the blood of Christ that was shed is how, you know, we get that Passover, how the angel of death would pass over us, that we would be reconciled with God. But in that last plague, it was so devastating to the land of Egypt that, you know, Pharaoh did indeed let the Israelites go. And God would direct them through the wilderness way. It's interesting, if you look at Exodus chapter 13, God did not send Israel on the most direct path to the promised land, back to the promised land. He actually tells them it took them the wilderness way so that they wouldn't encounter the Philistines, who we know later on would become one of the greatest enemies of the nation of Israel. So he had them go the other way, and of course, Pharaoh had a change of heart had a change of heart and got his chariots together, got his army together and pursued the nation of Israel. So that's where we're at here in Exodus chapter 14. If you turn there, notice with me in verse 10 is where we kind of pick up in that account that I just gave you in context. We're going to read verse 10 through 16 and it says this. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, why have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Such a great section of scripture. So I want to pull out some things. We'll we'll kind of go through each of these verses, pull out some points uh, that go in line with this title, Moving Forward Through the Impossible. I hope the Holy Spirit at this point has revealed some things in your life that you have thought of just to be an impossibility in your life, too difficult, too challenging, too hopeless. And let's take a look at this uh, and, and let the Lord apply these things to our life. So looking back at verse 10, notice that when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they were very afraid. We know that God had promised the Israelites that he would deliver them, and that he would bring them to the land. God had already promised this multiple times. God had already shown his faithfulness multiple times. But what happened the moment they see this army is they begin to fear. They begin to worry. And one of the things that I would give you by point of application is this, is that worry, anxiety, and fear will bring us to the mindset of the impossible. I'll say that again, that worry, anxiety, and fear will bring us to a mindset of impossible. Oftentimes, when we're dealing with the impossible in our life, 
There's something that is rooted within that. Maybe it's a heavy worry or an anxiety, or in this case, this fear. And then I would remind you of what the Word of God says, right? As God would speak His Word over us, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So I want you to consider that as you, next time that you struggle with worry and anxiety and fear. And hey, I don't come to you um, as if I don't struggle with those things from time to time. But one thing I do is I recognize when I'm struggling with that, that's not from the Lord. God didn't give me that spirit of fear. God didn't give me the spirit to worry. God didn't give me a spirit to complain. God didn't give me the spirit of anxiety. So, you know, he hasn't given that to me. So if it's not from God, then I can just, I can recognize that. We can recognize that as a truth and say that that's not from God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit in those times that you're struggling with that worry, that anxiety, that fear, that you would really allow the Lord to remind you that's not from him. That's not his heart for you. That's not his plan for you to be stuck in there. Then the other thing I notice in verse 10 is that as they were, you know, as they lifted up their eyes and they were afraid, they see the Egyptian army coming after them. It says that they cried out to the Lord. You know, crying out is just another way of saying they prayed or, you know, this, was, this would have been a fervent cry, a fervent prayer to God. And I recognize something that is, is usually often in our life. Usually when we get into this really hard place, we, we will, we'll cry out to the Lord. But you notice that there was a root of unbelief there. There, they, you know, there was a root, even as they would cry out to God, did they really believe that God could now deliver them from this? So, you know, they're like, it's almost like this mindset. Yeah, I saw God deliver us, you know, I saw God bring us out of Egypt. I saw all these miracles with the plagues. But then, you know, there's this place of where they cry out to the Lord as they see this army as if, you know, I don't know that God can really save me now. I would direct you to Mark chapter 9 verse 23 through 24. And you're probably noticing some of these I have is, or a lot of the scripture and references I have as slides that would come up on the screen. You're welcome to turn there or you can just direct your attention to the screen where there was a time where a young man, a young a boy was brought to Jesus who was demon possessed. And, you know, the, they, they brought this boy to Jesus and, you know, pretty much the father said, if you can heal him, then do it. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked, if anything, anything is possible if a person believes? The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a great place to pray to God in these tough moments. But I think that it would be good for us to recognize the times of our unbelief that that would be your prayer. God, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Let that be an often prayer of yours as you just, you know, as you would just be real one with yourself and real with your Savior. Because, you know, we could put on fronts with one another, uh, but the reality is we could never put on a front with God. Even as the scripture would say that man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Let's go to verse 11. Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. Actually, we'll look at verse 11 and 12 together. It says, then they said to Moses... Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. 
I think there's a cool point that I can pull out of this for us today. And it's a, it's a bit of symbolism. When you see uh, the reference to Egypt, when you see a reference to wilderness there in verse 11 and 12, I want to show you a lot of times the symbolism that this has uh, in the typology, if you will, that it has for us. One, that Egypt often would represent the world and the world system. The wilderness will often represent a testing and trial or a period of testing and trial. So if you notice that and if you kind of read that in that term and really allow the Spirit to speak to you, you'll notice uh, some interesting things, right? That, you know, as we, you know, would struggle maybe in a time of fear and, you know, dealing with some things that are impossible with our life, well, what's the temptation? You know, even as they said here, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt, why did you bring us to the wilderness? Like as if God had brought you to a place of trial and testing and, and to leave you there, right? And we begin to blame God for our trial. We begin to uh, wish that we were back into the world or we, maybe we go to things of this world. Maybe we find a different release of a relationship or alcohol and these other types of things that the Lord is never leading us toward. That, that is never from him, right? That he says, you know, even as they were in this heart, that it would have been better for us to, be, to stay in Egypt. So when you're in a seemingly impossible situation, I think the reality, wherever our situation is this, that there's going to be a temptation for us to run away and probably to run towards the things of this world. But I would say, notice verse 12 actually. Let's read verse 12 again. Because in verse 12 they ask this question. Is it not... Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Well, what's the answer to that? You can say it out loud. No. <laughs> we can try that again. So what's the answer to that? No. Is it better for us to stay in Egypt? No, it's not better for us to stay in Egypt. As you would, you know, as you would think about this, the reality, what they're dealing with here is perception. Their perception was real. They, they felt, this felt real, but their perception was wrong. And, and this is an area that I would guard you with your emotions. Like, your emotions are very real, but they're not always true. And we can recognize what they were dealing with. They see this army. They're, you know, they're camped out. They're in the wilderness. They're, in the, they're already in a place of testing. And they see this situation and say, it would have just been better for us to stay in Egypt? And of course, the answer is no. And we, it's easier for us. We can look back and we know the full redemptive story. But for them in the moment, we have to say it's a little bit easy to relate to that. But I want to give you another scripture in line with what I just shared. You know, how our perception is not always true. Although it feels real, and it is real, it's not always true. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 gives us a little insight to this. When it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Well, and you can continue on reading that verse uh, in verse 10. It says that the Lord knows it. The Lord knows our heart. But the reality is, for you and I, we can be deceived by our emotions. And that would be another point of application that I would give you today. That it's important to know that our emotions can deceive us despite how real they feel. Our emotions can deceive us despite how real they feel. Continue on with me, verse 13 and 14. It says that Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, 
you shall see again no more forever, that the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This is a great picture of abiding. Great picture of abiding. So in difficult times, we want to run, right? This was, you know, the temptation that they had was to run, uh, to get away. They didn't want to be in this situation. But I would give you this as a point of application. In difficult times, God is often telling us to wait or stand, not to run. In difficult times, God is often telling you to wait or stand, not to run. But if you're going to run, he tells you where to run, that you would run to him in prayer, right? That we are, and, and you know, let's, let's be real again. A lot of times when we're in a place of impossibility in our life, we want anything in our power to get out of that place. Standing and waiting is a hard thing to hear from God, to stand, to wait. But I would remind you is, you know, if you're going to run, run to, to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, just such a great verse that you could hold on to. Because of referring to Jesus, it says, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. Just know that Jesus understands. He recognizes what you're dealing with. He is not distant that he doesn't understand the struggle that you that, that have, that time of the wilderness. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In verse 16, this is that picture of when we run, and if we're going to run in a time of impossibility, where do we run to? We run to him, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. As I had mentioned as we read this, this is a great picture of abiding in Christ, to remain, to stay put. You could read uh, in John chapter 15, those first uh, you know, eight verses or so in your own time about abiding, but it's important because when Jesus taught us about abiding, remember what he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's a lot of times that God is telling us to stand and wait, to wait upon him because apart from him, you know, Jesus says we can do nothing. And so this picture of abiding, you're in this place of impossibility. You're in this place of a struggle. You're in this place of a trial. You have a temptation to just want to go back to uh, the things of this world or run back uh, to some worldly device. And I want to give you this as a point of application again. When we're abiding in Jesus, we will find ourselves in a firm place of faith and hope. And you can see that in verse 14 of what I mean by that. That the Lord, it says, will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's a promise for those who are abiding in Jesus. When you stand strong, so how do we move forward through the impossibility, through impossibilities? As we stand strong in Jesus. We stand with him, we abide, we remain. We don't run from him, we don't forsake him. It's not the time to backslide, it's the time to root ourselves with faith and hope. And remember, the word hope that you see in the scripture isn't like a wishful thinking hope. It is a confident assurance knowing that God is going to deliver me from this. Stand still. Like this wasn't a question. Moses didn't say this like, eh, like the Lord will, you know, like the Lord will fight for you, question mark. No, like he says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I would love to have seen this. And to see Moses uh, there in that day, and just as, you know, a great leader that had stood up uh, to the occasion. But now, it is, you know, you know an interesting thing, even as we're going to jump into verse 15. But, uh, you know, before we even do that, I would say this. 
God has promised you and me the same deliverance. The same deliverance of, that he had given them there in verse 14. As you see, God will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. This is a promise that God has for us. And I think about this in the times that we're struggling and saying this question. How can we stand when something is seemingly impossible? How can I stand during this time that is an impossible situation? And, and that's a hard question to ask. That's a question that a lot of times I think that we really wrestle with. I mean, it sounds good in a Bible study. Sounds great. Yes, Stan. But how do you really do that? And, and I believe it's the same thing for the Israelites here today, that you hold fast to his promises. You stand firm in the promises that God has. And if you, you know, see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. You know, I love how the scripture weaves itself together. It's one of the great evidences that this is not just another book. But if you notice how, you know, even these scriptures, how they come together, how the Lord will speak to us through that. It's just one of the things I love the most about the Bible, that he will confirm these things. And so one of the studies you might just need to do if you're struggling with that question, how do I stand well, go start reading through the thousands of promises God has for you in the scripture. You know, some of them are uh, not as, uh, as palatable as others. Like I think of the one where Jesus says that in this world you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So there's a promise there that, yeah, you're going to have trials in this life. It's not going to be all easy. It's not going to be all skipping through the roses. But one thing you can know, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So standing strong, remembering every promise of God is in him is yes, in him is amen. Now coming back to Moses, and this thought of Moses as he, you know, it told the people with this boldness, you know, to stand firm, that the Lord will fight for us. In verse 15, it's almost like now Moses, you know, it's like, okay, now, now God what, right? Because in verse 15, it says that the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? So now there's this picture of Moses crying out to the Lord. You know, he had this firm statement, you know, stand strong. Uh, you know, the Lord will fight your battle. But there's this place where Moses is crying out to God. And again, it's a good place to be in a place of fervent prayer. So, you know, I don't want to neglect that, that. It's not like God is telling him don't pray. But what we see here is God telling him to step forward in action. As it says in, again in verse 15, that the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, what's comforting to me in this scripture is this, is that it reminds me that the wait and the standing in him doesn't last forever. So when God tells us to wait, when God tells us to stand, it might feel like an eternity, but there's a promise that God's going to answer. And so when God answers and when God tells us to move, I, I would say by point of application is this. Be ready for the moment that God calls you off of your knees and into action. We need to stay prepared. We need to stay ready. Again, be ready for that moment when God calls us off of our knees and into action. But I think there's a reality for a lot of us, and I could include myself in this at many times, that this is probably a time that I need to be on my knees more than trying to take things into my own strength. Right, because even when that said that before, it's not I fight my battles, it's the Lord fights my battles. So there's a, there's a great time. That's the first thing we should do is be on our knees and be people of prayer and committing all these things to the Lord. But be ready because God's going to answer that prayer. Even as Brother A.B. said, there was something I was praying about this week and God answered that. And why do we become surprised sometimes? Because we, in our mindset sometimes it's like, 
oh, that's impossible. But then God does it, and you're like, no, it is possible. With, you know, we know these scriptures to be true in our heart and just allow the Lord to really break down those barriers of this mindset of impossibility. In verse 16, it says, but lift up your rod, God speaking to Moses, but lift up your rod, stretch your hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And as I had mentioned earlier, as we move forward through the, through the impossible, we don't do that in our own strength. When we move forward through the impossible, it's not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. When Moses lifting up his rod is not what got the Israelites through the Red Sea. And, and picture the scene, sorry if I didn't do this earlier, but picture the scene as, as they're going through the wilderness, they're now at the, uh, you know, they're now faced with this big body of water right in front of them. They have an army behind them. The reason that they're, uh, you know, so scared at this point is there's an army behind them and there's a big body of water in front of them. And literally, they feel trapped. Literally, they feel like there's nowhere else I could go. And as God says, move forward, I mean, how funny is that? You know, the, you know, the battle cry of their leader, stand still. Okay, you have one of the greatest armies in the world coming at you. Stand still, right? And then, you know, Moses is crying out, okay, God, now what? He says, why do you cry? Move forward. Stretch out your rod over the sea. And this is God. So it wasn't the power of Moses. Moses didn't make that happen. And so as you think about that, how do we move forward through the impossible? We don't do it in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Another great verse that you can take hold of and a great promise is it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It would say that this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And by application, you can put your name there. This is the word of the Lord to you. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So as you're wrestling with the impossible in your life, commit those things to the Lord. I, I want to share just a little bit about how this verse is so impactful in my life. Because this is part of my testimony. And I'll just share a brief part of my testimony with you here this morning. But it was in December of 2011, at the age of 27 years old, that I gave my life to the Lord. After a lot of wrestling, and I would even say uh, to some capacity in my life, I was, you know, an agnostic. I was actually starting to not even really believe in, in God. I was starting to just wonder, you know, just all religions just seemed fake to me. This was kind of my mindset. But five years prior to that, a guy that was evangelizing to me gave me a Bible, and I would give him the argument of how the Bible's not true, and he wrote in this Bible, you'll never know what's true till you read and judge for yourself. So in 2010, I started reading the Bible, started in Genesis, reading through, kind of as a skeptic, kind of as curiosity, kind of wanting to be able to be able to give an argument of why I didn't believe it. But little by little, God was working in my heart. Now, it was at the time that I got to the book of Ephesians, and, and I'll just give you just a little visual here, because just to show a bit of the stubbornness, you know, I had read through all of this of the Bible before I finally give my life to the Lord. Now, God was working in me this whole time. So, you know, this whole time I'm wrestling. Every time I open it, I'm wrestling with the Lord. And uh, little by little, he's working in my heart. By the time I got to the book of Ephesians, December 2011, on my knees in my room, I said, God, if you're real, show me you're real. I'll give you my life. And God gave me that peace that surpasses understanding. 
And let me just say, he did a mighty accelerated work in me starting that day. I finished through the scripture, 2012. You know, I started reading the Bible, uh, you know, just with a greater fervency, taking notes. Not, now no longer getting in trouble by my wife through all the worldly things that I was doing. But now it was uh, for reading the Bible too much. She's like, is that all you're going to do? And I was just like, man, I was hungry, hungry for the things of the Lord. It was kind of... Uh, Towards the end of 2012, in the beginning of 2013, Pastor Ed did the servants class. You know, one of the requirements for those that serve here at the church. And I sat under that. He did that on the weekend. And as I sat through that teaching, the Lord spoke to me, it's time for you to start serving in the church. So I filled out a ministry application. First call I get is the junior high ministry overseer. And I kind of thought, man, I probably should have specified you know, my one, two, and three choice, but, okay, but you know what, I prayed over that application, and, you know, and I gave it to the Lord, and, uh, you know, I went up and started observing up there, and let me just say, it was super awkward initially, serving with the junior high ministry, very awkward, I, I felt like, you know, the first, my first thought when I went up there is like, I'm a little, you know, I'm not like super old, but I'm a little too old uh, to really relate to them and their issues, they're just really awkward, you guys are a little awkward, but that's okay. Uh, you know, they're super awkward sometimes. But you know what the Lord showed me and what he spoke to me as I sat there during that first service? What he spoke to me was how good it would be to hear the message of the gospel at that age. It's not something I had. Maybe it wouldn't have been something I would have received, but it's just not something I would, that I had. And that's what the Lord did to keep me there. And little by little, as I just would just be faithful in the little. Just, I, just, you know, I just knew that this is where the Lord had called me, to pour into our youth. Well, fast forward to 2015. It was May of 2015. I'm working a very demanding uh, retail position, supervisor, overnight supervisor. Uh, had a lot of vacation time built up, so I took what a lot of us know as a staycation, where you know, I didn't want the, all the stress of you know, you know, booking uh, you know, a trip or anything. I just took some time off to stay at home. And what I did at that point is we had just, the junior high summer calendar had just been released. The pastor, the overseeing pastor at the time, asked us as a leadership team to pray what we could do. And as I started praying over that, I was really wrestling, like, man, my schedule just doesn't match up. I don't know how I can just keep doing this. I have a young family, you know, I have my wife and my three kids, you know, I got work, I have all these things, but I knew the Lord was calling me to still serve. And so I just was, in May of 2015, I was just really praying, and the Lord led me to this section of scripture. Well, actually, I was, that was where I was at in my devotion time, but I prayed. I remember uh, kind of specifically just in that, um, that place, I remember before I got into this Devo of Exodus 14, I prayed specifically, God, give me a word. What am I to do as I move forward? And then I, what, what, what stuck, stood out to me was Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. I'll turn back there in my Bible. But, you know, that's the one where God said, that he said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So like this, this was just like blasted in my heart. And I'm like, God, did you just ask me why am I praying about this? Move forward? Like move forward with what? Now, it's just, you know, I don't remember the whole time frame, but kind of what had happened during that time was I had come into uh, d down by the cafe entrance and Pastor Ed was down there and he, he saw me. He was greeting downstairs in the cafe and he pulled me to the side and said, Keegan, do you, uh, just question for you, do you sense the calling of pastor over your life? 
And, you know, you got to be careful with this because sometimes the first thought that comes to your mind is not what you should say. Just throw that out. And I don't remember what I said, but I'm, I'm so grateful that Ed is a loving and grace, gracious man that he didn't just take me at that word. But I probably said, I think I said something in the line of, uh, no, not really, <laughs> I think was my response. <laughs> but like I said, he's loving and gracious, and he said, well, let me say, ask you this way. What would your wife say about that? Now, I'm very critical of myself, and my wife's a little less critical of me, so I was like, well, she might say maybe. Maybe like a couple years down the road, maybe that's a calling on my life. Little did I know that just that simple question was beginning to reveal why that section of Scripture had stood out to me, because I got an email a short time after that, you know, an email from Pastor Ed that said, hey, we want to talk to you and your wife. And we went in there and he said, well, here's the thing. One of the pastors, one of the youth pastors is planning a church. We want you to pray about coming on as a pastoral intern of the junior high ministry. But pray about it and consider it. I went home and prayed that night. And guess what the Lord spoke to me? Why do you cry out to me? Move forward. And I'm like, move forward. Anyway, there's, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. But let me say that this section of scripture, and he revealed all of that to me. The Egyptians whom you see today no more, or the Egyptians you see today you shall see no more forever. That was a reminder to miss out on the big bonus I had coming, to completely forsake my job and to come on and to serve wholeheartedly with the youth. Sometimes God is going to speak things to us. And let me just say, the reason I bring this up, there was a lot of impossibilities. In my mind, it was impossible for me to be a pastor. In my mind, it was impossible for me to to not work in the capacity I was. In my mind, it was impossible for me to have an impact on the youth. In my mind, all of these things that I was struggling with, just saying, you know, in my mind, it was impossible. But what was impossible with me is possible with God. And I began, um, I took over, amen, amen. And so just to wrap up that part of the testimony, August 2015, I was brought on staff to oversee the junior high ministry. And let me just say this that when I struggle in the calling, when I struggle with impossibilities, when I struggle with the mind battle and the warfare, you know what God brings me back to? He brings me back to this word. And I pray for us as a church. I pray for those that are listening online. I just pray that you would have that verse from God, that you would have a word that God has spoken to you, a promise that you can know, know it's not better to go back, because there's a reality yeah, there's times that, you know, my prayer is, Lord, can I just go back to Egypt? Can I just go back? This is, this is too hard. The wilderness is too hot. It's too much struggle. Do you know what God tells me? Stand. Stand firm. I will fight your battle. And, and, you know, to have that is a beautiful thing because I can know that, you know, that's not God's heart. And I can stand firm. God didn't bring me this far to let the Egyptian army take me out. Amen. So let's come back to Exodus 14, and we'll start to wrap up, you know, just the thought of today's study. Moving forward through the impossible, I pray that you did take me up on that uh, exhortation at the beginning to write down things that you have viewed as impossible. And I want to give you this last point of application for today, that it's important to remember that when we're facing something that is seemingly impossible, that when we surrender it to God, it enters the realm of possible. Remember that when you're facing something seemingly impossible, when you surrender it to God, it enters the realm of possible. 
we have to recognize in some capacity. As you think about that analogy and the typology I gave you earlier, right, of Egypt representing the world and the world system, you know, that deliverance and some of these deliverances may be in the fulfillment as you stand before the Lord. But even in that, don't lose heart. God has a great plan and a purpose that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And there may be that struggle, and it might feel impossible. And even after this, you're still wrestling with that. Just stand firm in what you know and what you believe. Don't walk away from the Lord. Stand firm in him. I want to I direct you guys as we would have the worship team come back up. And commit these things that you wrote on your list. Commit these things, those impossible things. Commit them to the Lord today even as that last point of application was. But after, of course, you know, I'll paraphrase the, the rest of that account. God, Moses lifted up his rod. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea. The Egyptians followed them in, and the waters came crashing down on the Egyptian army. The Israelites went through on dry ground, made it to the other side, and continued that journey to the promised land. And it was right after that, And when we see in Exodus 15, verse 1, if your Bibles are still open there, notice in Exodus 15, 1, it says that Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has triumphed gloriously. That's my prayer for us as we go out. Just know and have that, let that be your hope today, that there's going to be this triumphant victory that will be, that will come from God in that area of your impossibilities. Would you guys join me in a word of prayer? So Heavenly Father, we just recognize our own weakness today. We recognize, God, that, you know, there's just a lot of areas of our life, God, that, you know, our flesh is still, uh, you know, just still can run rampant. But Lord, we also recognize that you do a mighty work. And Lord, all of these things that we just read, even with the Israelites, God, we have such greater knowledge that you've revealed to us through your son, Jesus Christ. So God, I first of all just want to pray just for my fellow brothers and sisters in this room, for those that have been born again, that those that know Christ, God, that those that are maybe wavering in their faith or feeling hopeless, God, would you strengthen them today? God, would you help remind them to not fear? Would you remind them that the answer is not to run, but to stand? God, would you remind them that it is you that fight the battle? God, would you remind them that triumph is on its way, that we are more than conquerors through you? God, I pray that there would be a peace that would come upon them in the very struggles that they're dealing with, or that they would know no matter what, God, you remain on the throne. God, I pray for those that are here today that are maybe listening online that don't know you. Lord, that they would recognize that being a good person doesn't get them to heaven. And I say that, God, of course, because you know that that was my heart before I gave my life to you. I thought I was good enough, that I was good enough to enter your presence. I had done more good than bad. But God, that's what you were revealing to me as I read the scripture that I wasn't the good person I chopped myself up to be, but I was a sinner falling short of your perfect standard, that I was deserving of your wrath. 
But God, even greater, you said that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternity through Christ Jesus. So God, I pray for those that don't know you today, that they would just confess, God, that they are not the good person that they consider themselves to be, at least not in your eyes. God, that everyone that has fallen short of that standard, God, is deserving of separation from you. But God, you have a plan of redemption that was being set in place, even in the scripture we said, and fulfilled 2,000 years ago as you came down to earth in bodily form, as you lived a sinless life and died on that cross for them. God, I just thank you that you saw me in your mind, that you saw everyone in this room and everyone in this world, and you being God, you were able to take upon the sin of mankind. That God, that those that don't know you today, that in the quietness of their heart, they would confess you, Jesus, would believe in their heart that you've been raised from the grave. God, we know that your word says and your promise says that if you do that, you will surely be saved. You will be born again and a child of the kingdom. So if that's you today and if you, uh, you know, just as we go into this last song of worship, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what I would ask you to do is come up uh, after this time of worship, come talk to one of the pastor or prayer team that'll be up here, uh, receive prayer and, and find out how can I come to the Lord? How can I come to know the Lord? And for the rest of us today, if you're struggling with that impossibility, take that list, commit it to God. Stand firm in his promise and he'll deliver you. Amen. God bless you all. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.